genre. Cornetto Minute, daily podcast where we crawl our way to the bitter end or the lager end, the world's end, one minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Nick Jimenez. Today we are preparing to annihilate Minute 67, which begins with Mr. Shepard suggesting that they would all thank him for being tough on them when they were kids and ends with Andy screaming, I fucking hate this town, ripping open his cardigan and grabbing a pair of stools. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure. Uh, iconic moment. Definitely. And of course, uh, returning guest, Jay Stringer. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back again. Of course. Of course. Uh, yeah, this is uh, a lot of stuff happens in this one. <laughs> yeah. I, I really find myself, I don't know. There's something about the way that Mr. Shepard quote, Mr. Shepard is like, Oh, well, you know, you were grateful for it. Even if I was, I don't know. I'm really starting to empathize with, cause this is the minute where we see Andy, like, you know, go off like mm-hmm. fucking lose it and i can kind of get where he's coming from because we've been a little bit like why does he hate newton haven so much it just seems like kind of a normal place but like i don't know the kind of oppression <laughs> and the right. like frustration and the like this is all you know i don't know for some reason i'm like when he when he when he says i hate this fucking town i, I, I felt it this time yeah I think it I think it represents something to him. Uh, uh it, it represents a a version of himself that he doesn't like anymore. Mm-hmm. And and I think that the reason that the rage is starting to to finally boil over in this moment is um directly related to uh Becky Salt uh, sucking the ring off his finger and swallowing it. Um I think that you know his Marriage problems are related to the guy that he used to be and, you know, he's trying to change and he's very focused on that change right now because of, uh, you know, being split from his wife and, and I assume trying to reconcile with her. And I think that all of these things are just sort of boiling over and it's, and it's really interesting because none of this is on, um, is, is out in the open yet in the movie. But it's all there, and we've we've seen it. I, you know, our our theory, Jay. I don't know if you you heard, but our theory is that he uh, cheated on his wife with his um, receptionist, uh, based mm-hmm. on the way that he reacted to her when when uh, she told him about Gary King. We think that either that was the woman that he cheated on his wife with, or that's a new receptionist that he's refusing to um, sort of connect with because of what happened with his previous receptionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the yeah. theory. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um I think the Andy's dealing with a lot of stuff and I think that Newton Haven just sort of represents a version of himself that he really really despises. Uh it's a version of himself that drinks too much. It's a version of himself that was a bit of a womanizer and I think that he is kind of reckoning with all of those things and using the town as a representation of this version of himself that he hates so much. Yeah, it's just being confronted with, with with your past and with all of the things that you've never dealt with, 
um, you know, including Gary King. Uh, you know, we've all got a Gary King. Some of us might have been a Gary King. You know, we've mm-hmm. that's all happened one way or another. Um, and and I think it's it yeah it's it's just that moment bubbling up as well. You know, falling off the wagon as well. Um, like everything that he's he's been fighting to do better at and to change, while also not really dealing with any of the issues. You know, like we talk, he's, he's kind of maybe been talking about self-improvement and telling people he's doing better while not really acknowledging what was wrong to begin with. Um, and it all just comes out. Plus, I mean, you know, I've been back to my hometown a few times and it doesn't, to be honest, it doesn't take me that many pubs to decide that I hate my hometown. So <laughs> yeah. I, I can also just relate. Yeah. Uh, I, I know it as soon as I drive into my old town, so my old town, so it's, uh, yeah, just, just the, just the welcome sign is enough for me to be like, I, I hate it here. I don't want to be here right now. Um, fuck you, Scott. <laughs> I think the only <laughs> yeah. thing, um, I mean, not to criticize cause this is, I mean, this is a great film. Um, but I, I wonder it cause it's later on when he says the thing about, I promised I was never going to die in this town, isn't it? Um, and I just, you know, sometimes foreshadowing shouldn't be done, but I, I, do, I do wonder if that moment maybe, uh, if, if we just heard him say somewhere, something like that earlier in the film as well, just yeah. just to set it up a little, just a little bit, not even the same line, but if we just maybe had something when he's like, uh, you know, no, no, I'm, I'm never going back. I don't want to die there. Whatever it be, just something that, that kind of would pay off in this moment a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't disagree. It's it's interesting how many because there's there's a very tiny, tiny uh callback moment in this minute that I just think is is interesting. There's the bigger one with the with the WTF stuff. Um but uh specifically when Mr. Shepherd gets up and hits the fire alarm, it's like a direct call back to when he catches Gary hitting the fire alarm in school in the, in the very uh, early moments wow. of, the, yeah. of the, of the movie. And it's just such a, it's such a like tiny moment. Like they don't, they did not need to do that. They don't, there's, there's no reason for it, but they did it. Um, and then, but then they leave something like Jay is suggesting uh, off the table, which is, uh, you know, a little bit of a waste, I would say. Um, considering, you know, they were like, yeah, let's, let's set up this, uh, this fire alarm moment, but, uh, let's not set up the fact that, uh, Andy doesn't want to die in this town. But, yeah. yeah. I also wonder, I don't know, I don't know if the, like the, the electronic devices is just something about how the network communicates as well. Cause in the, in the fight in the bathroom with the, the teenager, didn't the teenager hit the, uh, the, the hand dryer on the wall at the start of the fight wasn't that a thing where like he does a big swing with his arm and hits the yeah. hair dryer. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I don't know if I mean that that that's a callback as well, but I, I don't know if that that's part of how the networks kind of activates its you know emergency is just through wall mounted loud things. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, maybe because I can't because those are the only because the kid this, this the kid is... in the in the bathroom he he punches the uh, the the hand the hand dryer. Yeah, yeah, the hand dryer. And yeah. then here he punches the fire alarm before they, they kick off the fight. Um, and trying to think if there's other alarms that go off in the other fights. I think I want to say yes. I want to say the statue thing makes a noise. I don't know. Hmm. That's something to look out for later to see if they, they can only fight uh, when there's like uh, some sort of sound happening, some sort of alarm being sound. 
Um, that's uh, that's interesting. I've never I've never really thought about that, but I think you're right, Jay. Or, almost, or even if they've, it's a thing when they've, like, a, it's a comment on how they don't quite get us. You know, like they've observed how we act and interact, and they've observed that you know a fire alarm goes off at the same time as people running around in a building. Uh-huh. Or, or whatever so they're like oh loud noises make humans run around and but they haven't quite <laughs> figured out what the real connection is you know so right. at the start of a fight it's like oh oh, we need a loud noise right right yeah that's true too um so he uh he, he references the fact that um that teachers are stern a little frightening <laughs> but it's all for your betterment and uh, I just want to say, I, I've never, my, all of the best teachers I've ever had were, were neither stern nor a little frightening. <laughs> so just for the record, mm. uh, you know. This is uh, one of those things when I don't know, like, with this film, I'm never quite sure what's universal and what isn't. You know, I really don't mm-hmm. know. It's like, I assumed that you guys all had the, the weird nightclub schoolgirl thing over there as well, you know? Nope. And then I found out that you didn't. I, I assumed that that was universal. Um uh, for this one, like, I mean, one of the reasons that I love this bit of the film is I had this exact teacher. Um, mm-hmm. He dressed in these clothes. He had the goatee. He had the haircut. He had the glasses. He talked the same way. Like, the first time I watched this scene in the cinema, I was watching it just in my seat thinking, did did someone who make this film go to my high school? Because <laughs> that was my high school English teacher, Mr. Leatham. Um, and he was he was very... He was very gruff to begin with. Like you, like half of the people at school were scared of him. Um, but then if he liked you, if he trusted you, once he got to know that you weren't an idiot, you know, um, you'd, you'd almost become a project of his. Like he would, hmm. he'd like he, he loaned me books outside of school that weren't on the syllabus. Like he loaned me like George Orwell and Bertolt Brecht and he got me into Sean O'Casey. And all of that was stuff that he did outside of class. So, yeah, listening to Pierce Brosnan talk, listening to this whole bit about, you know, which amongst you wouldn't thank me, blah, blah, blah. Like, I was watching it nodding along, um, thinking I've had that teacher. So maybe that's just one of those bits that isn't universal. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there are. I mean, there's definitely teachers that have acted like this with me, but like I didn't. um, I would say the closest to this would have been uh, a professor I had in college, but even that professor, I wouldn't call him stern. He graded me uh, on a on a more difficult curve than other uh, students because he knew that I was capable of more than the other students were, and so he he graded me like when I got an A, when he gave me an A, like I really earned that A versus other people who may have gotten A's um, that he didn't think were capable of more, and he told me that multiple times. Um, and so I had a I had a college professor that was like that, but I don't. I don't remember having a a stern uh, teacher in high school or or middle school that I sort of befriended um, outside of school or felt like they were. Um, I don't know. I, I you know part of it I think too might have been just that like yeah, you generally feel a lot more victimized in high school yes. by yeah. <laughs> yeah. by your World. teachers and. Yeah, and I and, and so I think that was definitely part of it. Uh, but you know, I I wasn't anytime I felt victimized, I was like, oh well, they hate me. Um, versus <laughs> they're like trying to make me better. Um, so I I'm not I'm not sure. I I think it's I think it's definitely a, a universal thing. It just didn't it didn't happen for me until college. Right, and and it definitely it does also just speak to what we talked about in the last minute about the the attitude of the of the network. You know, um, mm-hmm. 
even though this is a line that I have no doubt teachers say, in fact, uh, you know, I've married into a family of teachers and I, I know that sometimes they say that when they meet students who've grown up, you know, and they, they, they might not put, be so blunt, but they have that conversation. Um, but at the same time, it also just in, in plot terms, it just, it, it does speak to the, um, the assumptions that the, the worker making. He's, he's not even really asking the guys whether they like what he did. You know, he's just kind of telling them, no, I'm, I'm firm with you, but you like it. You appreciate it. <laughs> right. Just that sort of, uh, that, that, that half degree of, of, again, yeah, yeah. Like, like it's, it's not quite condescending, but it's just a little bit like not quite fully taking responsibility for any damage he may have done to these like developing minds. Mm-hmm. you know of like well it was worth it like look at you now <laughs> you know look at how it turned out it was all for the best it's okay that i did that or occasionally because <laughs> you know it's like oh, i don't know how i feel as a parent um, but theoretically it's like i don't know how i feel about an adult that isn't <laughs> I mean, like i know i frightened you sometimes <laughs> i made you feel <laughs> but it was all for yeah. the best Look how you turned out. Like, like uh, you know, it's it's similar uh, to the way that uh, you know a lot of um, uh, you know boomer or uh, uh, greatest generation parents would be like. I mean, yeah, I, I beat the shit out of you when you were a kid, but look how look how you turned out. You're, you're great. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, oh man, like, that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah, heaven, you know, and it never occurs that it is in spite of that, right? It's yeah, because exactly. of that. Yeah, it's because of that, right? Um, and yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it's, 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 it's a problem. I would be very uh, interested in Edgar Wright making his kid who would be King. Like, hmm. cause I know he's, we've talked about his, his, his fear and unease of children, but it would, right. it would be interesting to see him make a movie about kids in a school. I don't know. He just yeah. needs to always come back to themes of rebellion and yeah. conformity and fighting against that conformity. It'd be interesting to see that in the context of like a school. Well, the, right. and that ties in because what, one of the things I like about films like this, um, and also it's also like um, a quiet place in a way. Some of these films that just have a big fun idea. Mm-hmm. Um, along the way, you find all these little tangents that could also have been an interesting film. Um, so, right. like, for, you know, for here with with the teacher being the one sitting down and talking to them, you kind of you can go down the thought process of thinking, well, when was the teacher taken over? Are the children at school already taken over or is the teacher used to groom them? Groom would be a really inappropriate word in this context, but you know, whatever. Oh my gosh, um, yeah, you're right. Like yeah. there's, there's a whole, there's a whole film there, you know, which I mean, okay, it's the faculty a little bit, but right. You know. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, there's a whole film there and it's, it's like, you know, I mean, in a, the, the example in a quiet place, I always think is you see the, the headline of a newspaper that's got, whether the people in the newsroom got out the word that it was noise that attracts the creatures, you know, and printing presses make a lot of noise. So there's, there's a whole film to tell about how journalists and and everyone who works in that building at some point decided we've got to make a stand, a last stand to get the news out and we're going to die uh, to get this news out, you know, and that's, that would be a brilliant movie. Um, And it's just thrown off, you know, and so I like, I like spotting those little things in you know in, in kind of bigger idea movies yeah you know pacific rim is is stuffed with that where it's like you're getting a whole world handed to you in like the opening minutes of that movie and you're like wait 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 wait, hold on like let's, <laughs> let's not keep going like they built a wall how did that happen like <laughs> it's like rain of fire like you know right. the, the yeah. dragon wakes up and then there's opening credits and then the apocalypse has happened and you're like hold hold on hold wait 
Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, I want to see. I want to see the like. How did they take New York? Or like, how did what did the Air Force do? Did we have like a United Air? Was there a huge jet versus dragon fight at some point? I, w- I would like right? to see that movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, Let's yeah, be- that's uh, that's really fun. Actually, <laughs> I love that. That's like a really fun like mental exercise, like creative exercise. Yeah. Find, yeah, it's also other, it, 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 it's story. a way to really go down annoying tangents and just lose a day because then you start pitching it in your mind and you start putting it together and you're like, this is how I do it. Okay, well, maybe there's a story in that. I can write a book about that. I know I'm meant to be writing a different book, but now I'm thinking about writing that book that I'm never actually going to write because I don't own any of those characters. Right. <laughs> but you just, you're like, you'll lose a day to it. <laughs> yeah, so 50 Shades yeah. of Grey happened. It was, they just, it, was, it was a Twilight fanfic and then she just changed yeah. the names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, we get, we get our first look at, uh, at, uh, Oliver's six birthmark, um, yeah. the return of it. Andy sure does. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it's, it's interesting cause the movie has done a, a pretty good job of naturally avoiding that side of his face. Mm-hmm. Um, since, since he's come out of the toilet. Uh, and, and so now we're, we're getting that first real look at that six and, um, they also did a pretty good job of making it look like a natural birthmark yeah. that kind yeah. of looks like a six. Cause you know, it could also look like a G and, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's part of what makes it natural looking is that it, it, it looks, you could see why people would think that that's a six, but also. It it doesn't it doesn't look too much like a six that you're you're like that's basically a tattoo you know <laughs> yeah this is also mo- this is one of the moments that I mean you have to have them in a movie so it's not a complaint um, but it, it's like a, one of those moments when kind of movie logic takes over because you know Andy just picks up a chair and, and thwacks that guy in the head he's just in that moment he's just convinced it's like well, okay well there's the tattoo so now I know what's happened so I'm gonna give a potentially fatal injury to this friend you know and it's like that's that's one of those moments that like that wouldn't happen in real life in real life you'd maybe confront him about it and he'd lie about it and you'd argue about it a little bit and then you have a passive aggressive falling out and you wouldn't talk on facebook for six months you know right but but in in a movie no you can pick up that stool and you can just whack this guy in the head (laughs) yeah it's uh it's really great and with with this is uh, minute we we can mark this down, everybody. Minute sixty-seven, the last minute of the movie that features Martin Freeman's face. <laughs> he had a good run. <laughs> yep, he had a good run. It's gone now. Uh, <laughs> which I think is I don't know. I just think it's interesting that uh, for the rest of this movie, for the remainder of this movie, Martin Freeman is uh, just like a mouth and below. And also, like on that same thing, um, we we're talking about good performances in the last minute. Um, and, and Martin free, essentially Martin Freeman plays three different characters in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like the real, the real old man. Um, then there's the version that comes out of the toilet, you know, and is just kind of a slightly slimy, too eager spokesman for the, for the network. Um, and then there's the, the moment that he kind of turns on a, on a, on a dime when he's, well, when he's had his head caved in. Um, but he just instantly becomes this kind of cold, you know, Yes, what the fuck? Like he does, he just does that. Yeah. Sorry, I had a kitten just explode out of a box. Um, I'm in, he just I'm in love that. With that filter that they put a voice through. I just think that's so yeah, cool. that sort of like echo noise of like of like okay, this is what your voice would sound like if it was coming out of like an empty 
an empty bowl. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a good voice filter. That's why. I, that's why I was happy when Kylo Ren got his helmet back. <laughs> uh, it's not as good though in the new one. It's, yeah, the, it's not the same. That Force Awakens. No, there's something. There's something off about it. Um, doesn't doesn't quite have the oomph that it has in in uh, Force Awakens. Um, yeah, this is this is good. I I like I like uh, I I really do like the lights that they're wearing. I loved the behind the scenes feature on the Blu-ray where they show like what this looks like, and it's just like little light sunglasses with uh with like a, a thing in their mouth. Um, uh, it's just it's really I just think it's really fun. Uh, how 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 great it looks as long as they're out of focus. Um, <laughs> Because they keep everyone out of focus except for except for Pierce, uh, and uh, you know his his is done with CGI, but all the other ones are practical, and it's like a really, uh, really really fun way to to save some money um, and keep the budget low. And practical, I know I'm, I'm a grumpy old man, but practical always just looks better. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with the um, attack the block, you know, and, and the fact that so yes. much of that alien was was practical. Yes. Um, and even though the, you know the first time I watched it, I was like, well, that's CGI. Um, cause right. you just, you don't believe anybody would do that practical anymore, but no, it's, it was practical and it looks so good for it. Yeah. Yeah. And even yeah. if the human mind, even if the typical audience member doesn't register that it's real, I, I do believe that subconsciously they're like, that's a, that, that thing's like physically moving. Yeah. Right. And right. in the same way that when you do see like a CG animated deer in three billboards or something, you're like, <laughs> that's not a real deer. Like, what <laughs> right. that? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I've always thought that, like, our brains—we just—we can tell the difference between something physically being there and something not being there. You know, um, and, and it, it doesn't always work out for the best. Uh, you know, see the the, the rubber baby in uh, in American Sniper, but right for an example of a practical effect gone awry. Sure. Um, but uh, uh, for the most part, I'm I'm a big pro- proponent for um, the. Uh, the 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 sort of CG practical like mixture right. effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that that that's something that's been been you know happening, uh, very recently where where you know specifically I mean we were just talking about Star Wars, but in the Star Wars the new Star Wars movies that's been a a big thing with those, and I think it works really well where you know eighty percent of the thing is a practical thing, and then they just augment it with with some uh, CG elements, and I think it works really well because the the people on set are reacting to a real thing that's there that you are seeing on on film and you're they're just adding these like sort of um more lifelike details uh to it and i think that's uh i think that's been a really uh cool change of pace in terms of uh movie technology right yeah if you look at something like 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 mas Kanata or like even the stuff that they're doing with the mandalorian where they'll just kind of pick and like, okay, well, what, 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 what's the best tool for what we're trying to do right now? Is it a practical effect? Is it a model? Or is it achieving something with computers and digital effects, artistry? Yeah. 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 I mean, and I think CGI, CGI is best used as kind of the, yeah, just like background dressing to augment things. Like, I mean, the way that, you know, so many TV shows will now just use it for, for driving scenes and all, all of those things that you, you might not notice actually. Um, right. You know, whereas I, you don't notice as much as you notice used to notice back projection. Um, so that's like a good Zod- use. You know? Yeah. Like Zodiac being like the, the most CG heavy movie you've probably ever seen and had no idea that it was so, there was so much CG. Um, David Fincher is like a really, really good at that at, uh, at, at tricking 
the audience into not realizing what they're looking at is CG because you know their their thought is just like, well, why would that be CG? And it's like, well, because we're we're not filming this in San Francisco in the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and and yeah, it's just it's he he does it. I I think he does that sort of thing maybe the best um, in yeah. terms of like using cg to the to the best of its ability and not not overusing it but just using it just enough where you you necessarily need it for um, the illusion setting yeah the illusion right I, I do also like just i like thinking that maybe it just for this for this scene like it, it reveals the ranking system but you know the difference between the extras and pierce brosnan but like for all the extras they're going up to them and going right you're going to wear these glasses you're going to put this thing in your mouth and you're going to do this and look it's just we're paying you. It's going to work, you know. And then they turn around to Pierce Brosnan, and they're like, "Okay, you're going to put on." Um, I tell you what, let just act, and we'll do some CG, Mister Brosnan. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, exactly. I I do think um, I think the mouth was a thing. I think he does have something in his mouth, but I but I don't think he had anything with you know uh, with his eyes. I think that was that was fully CG, and obviously it's all being augmented here because you don't get this amount of beautiful lens flare um just like perfectly done uh without without a little cg augmentation but mm-hmm. um yeah it's it looks it really does look great uh and it and i like it because it is a direct reference to uh the the uh, uh the remake of uh invasion of the body snatchers cuz they're basically making the face that uh that that <laughs> donald sutherland makes at the end of that movie it's just that they're adding lights to it, but it's essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, also when, uh, when Nick Frost, you know, when he had butts through, when, when Pierce Brosnan falls down, we get, uh, we, I realize that we've only seen him from the waist up and he's like totally rocking some dad jeans. Yeah. Yeah, he is. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's how that teacher dresses. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's kind of a tweedy jacket, but then, you know, well, I mean, back in my day, it was, it, like my teacher didn't wear the jeans. It was still, you know, it's still kind of tasteful teachery trousers. Um, but I guess the modern version probably would wear the dad jeans. Maybe you know, like they would guarantee if we saw all of it, they'd be turned up at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I'm Absolutely. Cool. I'm listening. <laughs> Teenage you know, you know what? The, the invasion of the body snatchers thing, that actually reminds me of uh, maybe that's, uh, also, part of the reference that they're making with them turning on loud sounds when they attack hmm. is is it's it's a reference to the sound that the the body snatchers made when they when they opened their mouths. They made that like sort of alarming noise, kind of like metal brie. Yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. maybe that's that's also a reference to that. Do you know, I, uh, it's taken me years to 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 move on from the nightmares I had about that sound, but now it's <laughs> <laughs> back. back. No, I think you might be right. Um, that's the fun of a movie like this, isn't it? They, they, they can be a reference that they've buried in there that you're going to notice on a podcast <laughs> like seven years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love, I, I just, I, I love him ripping that cardigan over open and, and, and just screaming. I just, I love how much of a badass Nick Frost gets to be in this movie. Yeah. yeah. You know, we were, we were talking yesterday about, and we've talked about this before, but you know, it bears repeating like what a, what a you know what Simon Pegg really got to act in this one. It was it's great just seeing Nick Frost being an unabashed, unironic like bruiser, brawler, badass in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He gets to he kind of gets to play against type for the you know 
because he's played yeah. the same character twice, really. Um, and then he gets to be this guy, who again is also the kind of gets to play two different sides of the character as well. So mm-hmm. um, we just get to see that he's got range, uh, yeah. and, and he pulls both off. Yeah, he gets to be. Uh, this sort of he, he's a badass, but he's sort of this buttoned up badass. It reminds me of um, Jason Siegel in uh, SLC Punk. Um, <laughs> if yeah, yeah, like he, you know, he was just sort of he's sort of a nerd, and then when but when he gets into a mosh pit, pit he just like wrecks house, like um, because I don't know, he has a lot of aggression to get out. I guess I wasn't um, expecting to ever hear that film referenced again. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I used to watch that a lot when I was in high school. <laughs> um, I also I like but, the the things in this scene that don't quite work for me. I think, but I like them. Like there's the uh, Stephen right after, and he, you know, when the teacher's like, "No, you know, let's go somewhere and talk about this properly," and Stephen's just like, "That that wasn't properly." <laughs> you know, right. I just I, I don't I I think maybe they they were aiming for something maybe a bit funnier than lands there, but I just really love it. Yeah. Well, there's actually a uh, there's an additional line that they cut out that I'm, I I think is a funny line in the script. But yeah, it, it you know, you're looking at the scene as it as it is and the, and the way that it's sort of ramping up to, uh, uh, you know, uh, Andy smashing Oliver's head in. Um, it doesn't it doesn't fit. But when when Mr. Shepard says, uh, why don't we go somewhere and talk about this properly? Gary suggests the king's head. Um, which, <laughs> which is which is funny like just the one track mind of gary but yeah i mean it doesn't it doesn't fit in the actual scene as it as it as it's represented on film but um oh, it is no. it is a funny thought make make no mistake my super objective has not changed <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah listen guys uh, like, I, okay clearly the world is ending um but we still have a plan here to stick to and uh in fact no i'm just describing the plot of the film aren't I? so <laughs> <laughs> I just I love the idea that that uh, Gary is like yeah no let's keep this conversation going come on like the whole like they just keep adopting blanks uh, into the group to continue yeah. the yeah <laughs> to continue the golden mile like a Wizard it's of Oz kind of movie yeah yeah and it's it's a, and that that would be I think what would what would work if they'd left that line in as well it's it's what you're saying about the adopting it's like it you know it, it takes us right back to the scene with the kid in the bathroom. You know, when this 40 year old man is just so sad and so desperate and so (laughs) desperate to have status that he's going to invite a kid along with him, you know, on a pub crawl. And it would almost it's kind of it would be the same thing. You know, he's so sad and so desperate for status that he's willing to invite the evil overlord (laughs) to come on a pub crawl with them, you know. Right. Exactly. Um, I love that. Uh, All right. Well, I think that's uh, I think that'll wrap us up here. Um, I am uh, curious if you can uh, tell us about some of your your other characters that you've written in uh, novels, Jay. Do you want to talk about uh, Sam Ireland? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Sam was um, Sam was a very basic, simple pitch. Of I love the Rockford Files. Um, mm-hmm. Sam was a very basic, simple pitch of how about if I wrote Jim Rockford, but in modern day Glasgow and uh, as a woman. And just oh. kind of in the real world. So, you know, if you get mixed up in, in crime in fiction, that you kind of, you know, you'll have a caper and you'll get away with it. If you get mixed up in crime in like a real city like Glasgow, there's a good chance you'll get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, um, I ran with that idea. And then it was also, I'd written three very serious books set where I grew up in England um, mm-hmm. with, a, with a Romany protagonist. And, that, that, you know, it was a trilogy and it was very much me 
saying, look at me as a social writer. I'm going to do crime fiction about racism and class and, you know, all of these things. And then after that, I thought, I want to write a comedy. I want to, I just want to write a comedy full of violent jokes and stupidity and set it in Glasgow, which is where I'd been living for a bunch of years at that point. So that's how um, the first Sam Island book was born, which is uh, Ways to Die in Glasgow. Uh, and there's a sequel, um, How to Kill Friends and Implicate People, mm-hmm. uh, which it's just basically the same thing. It's, you know, let me throw a bunch of over-the-top Glaswegian characters together, uh, have a bit of fun. There's a bike courier PI in it, you know, um, and tell some really, really dumb jokes. There's, there's a joke in the second one. The, I've only ever had one joke cut out by an editor, and it was in the second book. Uh, and it was a necrophilia joke that when I look back on it now, I think the editor was probably right. <laughs> you know, but at the time it was like, how dare you cut my art? Sure, <laughs> on you, but yeah, but you know, 40 year old Jay, I now think, yeah, yeah. Necrophilia joke. Yeah. Not really. Not, not at all. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds fun. And, th- and both of those are available wherever you can get books, right? Uh, at least, at least for order. Yeah, yeah, you can you can you can order them pretty much anywhere. Um, yeah. Those those were through Thomas and Mercer, so you can you can get those basically anywhere. And if nice. uh, and if you, and to our uh, listeners, if you feel like checking out any of Jay's work via Amazon, we recommend you go to duelinggenre.com slash Amazon. That's our Amazon affiliate link. And uh, when when you purchase that book or any other book or any other goods or services you want on Amazon, it uh, sends a little bit of those funds our way and helps us pay for stuff like server space and microphone equipment. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Uh, we really appreciate everyone who does that. It's really easy. Just just put it in, make it your Amazon link, and then forget about it. Uh, and every time you order something from Amazon using that bookmark, uh, we'll we'll just get a little little piece of the pie. Um, and we appreciate everyone who does that. Uh, but of course, again, if you don't <laughs> if you don't want to order from Amazon, uh, no one blames you for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is understood. <laughs> yes, absolutely understood. Uh, but if you're gonna do it anyway, use our link because at least. You're going to do some good and, and while, while uh, lining Jeff Bezos' pocket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, tomorrow, uh, we will be back with Minute 68. But for now, let's boo-boo.